0: As entrepreneurs, we want to grow our business. We want to grow our businesses dramatically. Well, you are in for a special treat today. I have an extremely talented entrepreneur who grows businesses, and she's done it in many different industries, and she's helped many fellow entrepreneurs, including myself. She's a prior founder, or she's founder of MetEdge Media, LLC, but where she really started taking off was she grew uh, early to rise from 8 million okay 8 million to 26 million in 15 months now many of us know entrepreneurs have had one win but i'm in financial services and i watched weiss research grow from not even knowing who they were at 11 million to 67 million in just 12 months Mary Ellen Tribby is going to join us, and she's going to show you the lessons she's learned in building some fantastic businesses that you can use to accelerate your success and build your business even more. I'm John Bowen. We're at AESNation.com. Stay tuned. Ordinary success? No way. You want amazing, remarkable, exceptional breakthroughs. Dig deep, think bold, drive hard, watch yourself soar beyond your dreams, AESNation.com. Larry Allen, I'll tell you, I am so excited to have you. I've had the privilege of being in a mastermind group, Joe Polish's Genius Network Mastermind, and taking a lot of your advice and just watching you just uh, really share and do some amazing things. So first of all, thank you for joining us.
1: Oh, John, thank you for having me. This is, this is going to be fun. Well, you know,
0: you have done a lot of amazing things in your life. And uh, it's all, uh, most of it, I think has been all around information and really using it effectively to make things happen. And I, I, I know you're going to share with us, I've asked you to share some of the lessons you've shared with all these successful entrepreneurs in the mastermind group and, you uh, uh, but before we go there, I want to get a little of the backstory. You know, how, how did you get to where you are now? Because uh, you got a great journey.
1: Oh, you know, and it's funny. And I do love telling the story because I think it's really interesting. I think it's really helpful, even you know, more importantly. It's funny, John, because I started working when I was 10 years old. I, you know, I was someone who said, I want to I make some money. And I saw all these boys in our neighborhood who had paper routes. And I said to my dad, you know, can I get a paper route? And he said, well, you know, you you have to be 12, you can't do it at 10. And I said, my brother was was 12. And I said, well, can we put it under, you know, my brother's name? And he said, okay, okay. (laughs) So I got this paper route and at seven o'clock every morning when I was 10 years old in Parsippany, New Jersey, I would go out and I would deliver the newspaper. But what I saw from an early age, was I saw these boys, these 12-year-old boys, and they talk in the playground. They say, oh, I threw my customer's paper under the car, or I threw my customer's paper over, you know, over the fence or in the tree. So I made sure that I delivered that paper every morning to the easiest spot where they could get it, whether it was in their mailbox or right on their step. And what I also heard in the playground was how, money, how much money they made in tips. And I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm thinking, wow, I'm making twice as much, three times as much money than these 12 year old boys because I am treating people the way I would like to be treated. And that single lesson I've taken with me to every single business I've either worked in, I've consulted with, or my own business, that one lesson. And so, and I took that all through my career, all through my um, high school career in waitressing, when I waitressed on tables, in college I waitressed on tables, and the same thing happened. I made so much more money because I looked at it as an honor to be able to serve these people, to be on their first date, or be included in their birthday party, or their anniversary party, and I served them so well, and I made so much money. And when I got out of college and really got into New York publishing, I took that single lesson with me. So really one of the first places that I started was um, Forbes in publishing. I worked at PBS first and Mm -hmm. I remember being at PBS and going for the interview with Steve Forbes and it was a process. I mean, it was a process, you know, multiple, multiple interviews. And finally I knew I was up against one person. And she had these great SAT scores and she just looked like she walked out of a you know out of a Paris magazine with her St. John suits and everything. And I was just sitting there and they put us both outside together and she was kind of just like, you know, staring me down. And when I got home, I, I got the job. And after a few months of being at Forbes, you know, I I said to Steve, I said, you know, what was it that made you select me? And he just said, You just had a better attitude. You just wanted it more. And, you know, again, I've taken that with me. And so I was at Forbes for a while, and from there I got recruited down to Florida and, you know, started at Weiss and then went um, went to, you know, Agora, um, all the way kind of consulting now, you know, now consulting with so many different financial institutions, alternative health, um, you, know, business, you know, entrepreneurship, you know, every, every niche that you can imagine. That I have consulted. In.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's—I mean, it's—it's it's funny, you know—the paper boy, uh, you know, starting there and and learning, you know, what I call world-class experience of value. You've got to nail that first, no matter what industry you're in, and then you can scale up. And uh, you got it at a very early age, and you've been yep. delivering it forever, Mary Ellen. You know, what I'd like to do is—you've you've had so many lessons learned, and I mean. Um, you know, because you really you were a corp- I, I want to do one kind of you were a corporate more yeah. yep. and 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 then made the switch to entrepreneurs. Now, most everybody listening here is an entrepreneur already or watching this on video, but you know, just go maybe to give us a little background because that's a big switch. And a lot of us struggle with that one. You know, how, what was that decision that you made, you know, and and how did you feel when you did it initially?
1: That's that's a great question. You know, it's funny because the main thing for me, and I was very, very fortunate because when I was in New York and I was working, you know, um, at PBS and Crane's New York Business and Forbes, I was constantly being recruited, constantly. Mm-hmm. And I was so lucky that I was able to decide where I wanted to go. And because I always went where I knew I was going to love what I was doing, like I, you know, and I always looked at an interview as me interviewing them, not just them interviewing me. And is this somewhere that I am going to thrive, that I'm gonna enjoy spending all my, you know, all this time, you know, being there. And I, that I've always taken with me. Where so many people in the corporate world, and even when we as entrepreneurs hire people, you know, those people look at it as, oh my God, I just want a job, I just want a job, I just want a job. And that was never what I wanted. I always wanted a place where I wanted to be, and that was that helped me kind of ease that bridge of going from the corporate world into the entrepreneur world. Because I always looked at every position I had as as it was mine. It was mine. Even when I was at um, I was at PBS in New York City, mm-hmm. and I remember um, asking to go to a seminar and um they had just gotten a new hr person and the hr person's like oh no we're not going to spend you know a thousand dollars for you to go to a seminar and you know i'm a kid back then i was a kid and a thousand dollars back then you know when you're 20 something years old it's mm-hmm. a lot of money and this was to go see dick benson and mm-hmm. for anybody who knows dick benson is like the godfather of direct response marketing right and it was an intimate setting and i shelled out that money myself and i went and I came back and I implemented one idea, one idea that I got from that seminar. Two days later, I got a ten thousand dollar raise. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? After, I'm sorry, two thousand after after we implemented, not yeah. you know we implemented right away. But then after that, they saw this. I got a ten thousand dollar raise. But so many people would have thought, well, this is a big corporation. I'm not going to pay to go to this seminar out of my pocket. You know, so I always had that mentality of saying, you know, I know I can make something of this. I always did my homework. And so, but the nice thing that I learned, you know, in the corporate world was some structure. And the nice thing that I was able to do with that is not bring all the bureaucratic, you know, rules that come with the corporate world. You know, and and I, you know, and I somehow managed, you know, because I, I do believe a lot of your career is about the likability factor. Mm-hmm. You know, people liked me. You know, Steve Forbes just liked me. I mean, that other woman I still remember. Her name was Natalie, and this was <laughs> back in nineteen. You know, I think ninety, ninety. You know, 92, ninety. You know, You know, whatever. And um, he just liked me better. I mean, she was just as capable.
0: Well, it's a no like and trust, you know, that we talk about in marketing, we're marketing ourselves. I mean, a couple of things I want to bring up, Mary Ellen, that you said that I think are just so powerful is, as a matter of fact, yesterday I was interviewing uh, senior, new senior team members for our our various companies, and it was an all day of just back to back uh, with my senior team, and we have them do a project, we hire them as consultants, and they do Mm -hmm. interviews, they come in and show us how they hit the ground running, basically, and Uh, the uh, 12-month period and the difference in mindset, the people who were really, you know, they're trying to figure out if we're the exact fit for them and how they'd make an impact and all that versus the one who wanted a job. I mean, it was very easy. The ones who just wanted the job, we didn't want. And the ones who weren't sure were the right ones were oftentimes the right ones. And it's just, it's an amazing process as we learn how to do this.
1: And even, you know, with interviewing, you know, I have so many, you know, things that I just use, so many, you know, indicators that I just use, you know, mm-hmm. somebody doesn't smile. And the beautiful thing about interviewing now, whether it's in person or on Skype, you know, you get to see them. And if they don't smile within those first five seconds, that's not somebody I want around. You know what I mean? And my favorite, you know, my fa- one of my favorite questions, and I think I've said this in the mastermind, was I ask people what they do when they're not working.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is a huge indicator of, you know, someone that you want on your team or not.
0: No, uh, it is, it, it, to me, you know, business is not about just having more business. I wanna be surrounded by people that make quality of life much better. We're in business to build great quality of life in our own light and self-interest for ourselves, but for all our stakeholders, you know, our clients, our customers, our yes. teammates, all that. And you gotta have the right team with you to do that.
1: Right, and when you just hit it, like those people are gonna be interacting with your lifeblood of your business, right? They're going to be interacting with your clients in some way, whether it's directly or indirectly, they're going to touch your clients. So are those the right people?
0: Well, and then the the other thing, and that's the most important, but the other thing, I mean, Mary Ellen, you probably have had some people you've worked with, I know I have, who weren't fun to work with. They're they're just energy draining, and uh, I just don't want to have that anymore. And never,
1: I, never, and that was—that's one of the best things about being an entrepreneur. Because I have a rule, right? I have that no, we'll say jerk rule. Yeah,
0: I've right? heard it differently in the mastermind, but we'll go with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the G version. Um, I will never work with anyone I don't like. I mean, as a matter of fact, I have you know I have two business rules that I really live by, which is you know um, before I make any decision, I ask myself. Is this the right? Is this good for our customers? And then I say, is this decision going to be right for our business? Because, you know, and if they, they're, they're both not a resounding yes, then I just don't do it.
0: No, and, and Mary Ellen, I, I really respect, you know, we've got a lot of great people in our, the mastermind we're in and a lot of talented people. But what I really like is I think of you as very pragmatic, you know, extremely talented entrepreneur. Uh, and, and you've got the right focus and you know every time uh, the clear takeaways I have every time you that you're sharing in the group one of the things I want to do here is you've been I don't know a, a queen of growth I mean you've just made some pretty explosive growth you know not only You know, in a corporate setting, but then really as uh, president of Weiss, you're running it. And then, you know, in your own businesses as well, Agora as well. I mean, just, you know, boom, 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 boom. Um, I'd love for you to share with us, you know, what are some of the key lessons that you learned that we could use your fellow entrepreneurs to really go out there and have that kind of growth that you had and build the quality businesses that you did?
1: I'd love to talk about that you know and, and when I say this you know the, the first thing is is having the right corporate culture and we talked a little bit about that but I remember when I went into early to rise and I would ask um, you know I'd ask the team you know how a certain marketing campaign did and they would say great and I would say well let me you know let me see those results and they'd say well we didn't really track it <laughs> and I said I literally said you can never say that to me again, right? Because everything you do must be tracked. If you don't track your results, you cannot roll out, you cannot grow. Right? And this is just one of the, one of the many rules of direct response marketing. And that's what I say to everybody that you really have to understand direct response marketing. Even if you have a company that is a brand, Right, that's that's fine. But most entrepreneurs, especially starting out, especially trying to get from that you know starting to that five million to that ten million spot, they have to know direct response marketing. And when you know direct response marketing, you don't have to go out and get funded. You don't have to go out and get loans or investors. Right? Because you're just one promotion away from a $5 million or $10 million company at that point. So understanding that direct response marketing is the kind of market marketing that is you know, um, immediate and quantifiable right? It is not branding. It is the kind of marketing that people are opening their wallet to right away. And so you need to understand direct response marketing. That is key. Uh,
0: I'll tell you, I I couldn't agree more, Uh, Mary Ellen. I didn't know direct response marketing. I grew up in the financial services relationship industry and very profitable. And, you know, we didn't really, you know, you kind of did things in the relationships and business happened and it grew. And then, I had 2008 2009 and the market just went down uh, and that I used to be a financial advisor had a large investment company all that and then I'm now coaching top financial advisors as their primary business and boy um, the, you know the big firm stopped and so we needed to market directly but I didn't have any statistics and that's one of the things I loved out of the mastermind group you know with you and others is just Seeing the attention to detail that you can go ahead and do these very low-cost campaigns, marketing—you don't have to hire the big agencies. You can test, you can test, and in today's technology, the cost of doing this is, you know, so minor. And then you can, you know, you find something working, you can scale it up so quickly. And I mean, you've been a master at that.
1: Right. And that's the key. I mean, John, just let's just share with everybody with, because people should go out and understand direct response marketing and understand that there are three key components to direct response marketing, right? It is your list, your copy and your offer. And this is where people go wrong most of the time. They think that the copy is going to be the thing that, you know, that changes your direct response marketing. And in reality, it is your list. It is going to the right people. The list that you select, the media that you select to go to is going to be responsible for 60% of that campaign. Then the offer, which is 30%, and then the copy, which is 10%. So if you don't understand that, you will not be able to grow. And by understanding that, because if you have a good campaign, right, all you have to do now is scale that with the list, right? Because relatively good, good copy. To the right list will do well, right? Great copy to the wrong list will not perform at all. You know, I say you don't sell lingerie to lumberjacks. You
0: no, know, it's uh, a mutual friend of ours, Brian Kurtz and Michael Fishman, uh, both uh, I've done podcasts with, and you can go ahead and search on uh, aesnation.com. But uh, I was having a conversation with them. And this is early on in my participation with you guys, and I. Bottle a list, a compiled list. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it just Brian and Michael were being as nice as a, they were in a car talking to me in a car, and you know, we we're on phones, and it was just so funny. Their advice, and you know, I'm going to test it anyways. It was a ten thousand dollar test. It wasn't a big test, uh, but it was a fairly you know significant uh, plan we had, and then we did it just on a very small list. The relationships we had, you know. About, I think it was a hundred times more successful. So, you know, it's just really the people don't understand the importance of having relationships. And you know, right. now that we can blast out ten million emails, sometimes we think we can just, you know, do it by aggregation.
1: Right, right, and that's why you know I I say to all these people who are kind of starting online today that you know I mean I I mean I did this with millions and mi- hundreds of millions of pieces of direct mail. So you, when you're spending, you know, $2 to, to, you know, per piece to go out, you get that copyright, you make sure you're going to the right person and you craft that offer.
0: Yeah. Now that we've got email that are effectively free, it's so easy to get sloppy. And, and so many marketing right. people have gotten very, very sloppy on this. Right. Well, right. let's go. Yeah, I want to go. You and I talked to, as we we're getting ready for the uh, turning on the cameras uh, was, you know, some of the lessons you've learned, you know, kind of five key takeaways. I want to dive into these um, oh. Oh. because they're so good and they're, they're really universal for all our entrepreneurs. You know, it's probably a lot of what we do on AES Nation, 85% of it, my guess is you've heard it before. But unfortunately, a lot of it you're not doing, it. and so I mean I get reminded all the time. We transcribe this; you can go get the transcription at aesnation.com. You can get the show notes, and I go through this with our team. And I'll tell you, there's just so many lessons, and yours are just pretty amazing, And Let's start with number one. You talk about time and. You know, I always call it the powerful engagement. It's not about energy management, you know, in the sense alone, it's energy and time together. And and you are very effective at this. What are some of the secrets there?
1: So for me, I will tell you that the most valuable commodity that I have is my time, right? It's not my money. It's not the gold in the safe. It's not the house. It's not the cars. It is the time. Time is the only thing that we can't get more of. We all start out with the same bank of time. We all have 24 hours in a day. And how we spend that time is going to be a direct result. It's going to be a direct result to how happy we are. Not just how wealthy we are but or how fit we are. It's going to be a direct result of how happy we are. You know, we can make more money. We can buy another car. We can get things back. We can't get more time. And until people really honor the fact that time is the most valuable commodity, they will never really be wealthy. And for me, I know that if I'm the, the more structured I am, actually, the more protective I am with my time, the more free time I have. And that's the paradoxical truth, right? Either you can take control of your day or your day can take control of you. And how many people do we all know that say, oh my God, I was so busy, I was so busy, but I got nothing accomplished.
0: One of the things, Mary Ellen, on this time part, it's just so amazing to me how many people are so ineffective, you said that, you know, they're working so hard and accomplishing nothing. And then people who are just great at time management um, really have a lot of free time. (laughs) It's just, you know, it's a whole different thing. And if you don't have free time, Then, you know, you need to manage it better.
1: You do, because like I said, my, you know, my colleagues, my friends are always like, how can you play tennis, you know, three times a week? How can you do that? You know, and have three kids and have a husband and run a business. You know, how do you do that?
0: Well, let's go. One of the biggest time sinks is meetings. How do you deal with that then?
1: Exactly. Well, first of all, I never take a meeting before noon. That's number one, right? I will never take a meeting before noon in the morning. That's my critical task time. Those are the times I do my writing, my planning, the creative, the creative things that I need to do. So never do a meeting before noon. That just sucks your time. And just so everyone knows, most people spend eight and a half hours a week in meetings. Okay. Eight and a half hours a week, which is ridiculous. That's over 400 hours a year. Think about that on a 40 hour work week. That'd be 10 weeks, 10 weeks of the year that you'd be in meetings. So, if you, when you have a meeting, you always have to have not only a start time, but an end time. Okay. It's starting. You know, at 2.05 and you're ending at, you know, 3.10, right? And I never do it on the hour, right? Because this way you don't want people, you know, people are not allowed to show up late for my meetings. And that needs to be known right off the bat Mm -hmm. because that's just disrespectful and that's not acceptable on any level, right? So, you know, so you have a start time, you have an end time. The next thing is you always have an agenda for a meeting. If you don't have an agenda, then you have no business having a meeting. If you don't know what's going to be discussed there and that agenda should be passed out at least 24 hours prior to the meeting so that everybody's prepared for the meeting. Think about a meeting of 10 people around a table. That's a lot of time, right? And if that meeting goes an hour, that's 10 hours of your business time. That's a lot of time.
0: Well, it's a huge investment too. Everybody
1: in my meetings, we have... That are called POAs, plan of action. So you never walk into a meeting with. Yes, right. So nobody ever walks into the meeting without the POA. And when you leave that um, POA, your sheet is filled out. You have a plan of action that needs to take, you know, that needs to happen because of the result of that meeting. And if you just do those, those few little things, the difference in productivity among your team and what you get accomplished, you'll be amazed.
0: No, and, and then what about the meetings that are unscheduled where that person is outside your door and you know, just no. wants that one minute?
1: Yeah, that, the, the three um, words, the three little words in the English language that kill your business is got a minute, got a minute, right? How many times have you heard that? People knock, got a minute, And this is what they say. No, no, no is a complete sentence. Right. So it's, you know, it's setting those boundaries. Like I was saying my team, they do not call, they do not Skype. They, they don't expect me to answer them before noon, right? They don't text me because those are my boundaries. And you simply, if somebody says, got a minute? No, and you set up those office hours, and you say between this time and this time, if you need me, that's when I'm available. And you really, you know, what your team, you train your team, one to be more, you know, more self reliant, right, without you, and two, they they get so much more done because they're not running back and forth to your office. Well, so those, well I that's love. Just, you know, a no no. Got a minute? Absolutely not.
0: Well, our mutual friend Dan Sullivan talks about self-managed companies, and if you, this is how you do it: is you create this structure and empower your team. You got to give them the information, but the other part you do, and you do well, is the systems. You know, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Absolutely. You know, every business really needs to be McDonald's. You know, McDonald's is probably the best business in the world, where anybody coming in and doing a specific task does it the exact same way. You know, they don't reinvent the wheel every time they hire somebody. And so in my, in my business, we have a big old SO uh, literally a manual, an SOP, a standard operating procedures manual that has every single repeatable task by position. Okay. And it is just a description of that task with step by step by step instructions. And the nice thing now too is that we have it in a binder and now we also have it on, you know, our, our, um, internet, with you know, videos as well. So if you want to just duplicate a division of your company, guess what? All you have to do is hire that person to run it. Here is, here's your training right here, OK? If, unfortunately, someone leaves your business suddenly, you bring somebody in, here it is. Your business now runs. And mistakes are not made. Nobody forgets a step your custom, you know, this, this protects your customers. It protects you. So every single repeatable task needs to have an SOP, every single one. And I don't, you know, it's so funny because people will say, Oh, it's so easy. It doesn't need that. Guess what? Somebody will screw it up at some point without that SOP, without a doubt it will happen. And it only needs to happen once for you to lose a lot of money.
0: Well, and it's also, it raises the value of the money. If you ever care about selling your business, that is, exactly. you know, having been involved in about 50 transactions, I can tell you that we raise the value pretty dramatically when you have a systemic process that's repeatable. Uh, what about, I mean, you you are focused and, uh, you know, entrepreneurs struggle with that because oftentimes, you know, kind of a lack of vision. How, how do you make that yep. work?
1: It's, it's funny because the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs make is you know they suffer from that, that shiny penny syndrome right because entrepreneurs have a lot of ideas they're creative people and they jump and they jump and they jump but when you're constantly jumping what you're really doing is you're causing incredible frustration to your team you're actually causing a lot of frustration for your customers and you're just not making the money and really what you're doing is you're wasting your time it's great to have ideas, and that's why journaling and having an idea board is fabulous because you you have some place to put it, right? You put it down and it's there. And then you can evaluate what that will actually do for your company as far as you know as far as the revenue line goes. But having a clarity of vision of what you're working on and actually explaining that to the team is going to get you where you want to go. You know, starting a project and getting it 10% done and saying, oh, I want to start here and having this other project and it's 25% done. Oh my gosh, let's do this. I have another idea. It's a great idea. And now I've got this other project 30% done. Well, 30% and... 25% 25% and 10% doesn't yield you revenue, right? One project 100% done yields you revenue. So you have to have that clarity of vision and be able to explain that to the team, get them on board, and then have a plan to drive it. You know, just because it's a project, it doesn't mean that you have to be responsible for each step. You know, in my company, we have project task sheets, and it, in that sheet explains the entire project. It, breaks it down into individual tasks. Each task has a champion and a due date. There, you know, that way everything gets done, right? And when you break it into those bite-sized pieces, you really see everybody gets, they know what has to be done. And if you say, you you know, you know, you know, you know, Tiffany, you're in charge of this. Julie, you're in charge of this. Bob, you're in charge of this. And here's the due date. You know, it's all right there. And, it's, and you'll be amazed how much more you get done.
0: No, this is great. And let, let's go, you know, one of the things that you've done a lot of is writing. And let, I'm going to put up on the screen, uh, your, I think, your latest book, uh, Reinventing the Entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about what's in there.
1: Oh, I love this book. This book really is a complete blueprint of how I started my business, how I run my business, but it's also what took, you know, took Weiss from that, you know, $11 million mark to 67 and took, you know, early to rise from the $8 million to $26 million by following this exact blueprint. And it really is launching what I call an inbox magazine. A lot of people would call it, you know, an online newsletter. And a lot of people would say, oh, online newsletters don't work. And what you know, and that my response to that is there's a real difference between doing something and doing something correctly. And kind of what you said before is I am pretty methodical, and with reinventing the entrepreneur, it is a step by step process of how you set up an inbox magazine, and it talks about everything you need to know from frequency to um the word count to how many words actually work in an inbox magazine and you know agora which is a 600 billion dollar company this is really you know they've got probably i don't know probably close to a hundred inbox magazines now right because Mm -hmm. this business model works and the beautiful thing about it is. I've had clients who were literally brick and mortar companies. I've had clients who were funeral home directors and they set this inbox magazine up on the amount of subscribers you have. And that metric is 50 cents to $1 per name per month. So you do the math, right? If you have a list of 10,000 or 20,000 or hundred thousand, 50 cents to $1 per name per month. So now money in markets, which I launched for, um, Weiss, In 2001, which is exactly the same as I launched it then, you know, they have 600,000 subscribers.
0: You know, I I love your book, uh, Mary Ellen. I had met you uh, a little bit before saw you in action in the mastermind group and uh, uh, got an early copy of the book. And it was like, wow, you know, just that whole story. And there's so many lessons learned. We can only do so much in the podcast today. So I'm going to encourage everyone to go there. But also, I want to encourage uh, everyone to go to your uh, website. Let me pull that up online here. It's Mary Ellen Tribby. Uh, Mary Ellen, tell, tell us a little bit about this website, The People CEO.
1: Oh, great! I'd love to. So it's at maryellentribby.com, and I have an inbox magazine called The People the, called The CEO's Edge. And really, the whole idea was this that so many people were asking me for this. They were asking, you know, I, a lot of people know I have a website called Working Moms Only, and a lot of men would write to me each, you know, each week and say, I love, you know, the advice you give here, but I'm not a working mom. You know, I had this one guy say, Hey, I'm a 22 year old dude. I love your advice. (laughs) Change your website. And so really what it did, it led, instead of clouding my my clarity of vision with working moms only, um, what we did is we started um, MaryEllenTrivy.com and launched the CEO's Edge. And really what that is, it's me really being their virtual CEO, giving advice of running a company because the first step, you know, this first step for entrepreneurs is to realize there's a real difference for most people with being an entrepreneur and being a CEO, that many entrepreneurs shouldn't be a CEO. That's okay and that's great because it's great to partner with people who have that that mindset and those skill set to be the CEO. So that's really important. And so that's why we created the CEO, um, the CEO's Edge Inbox Magazine. And you can find that at maryellenchidney.com.
0: No, it's great. And it's one of the few that I read all the time. You do a great job with oh, that. Thank you. And you, you've got a resource behind you here. And let's talk about what, what is oh, this yes. people successful and unsuccessful behind you?
1: Okay. So, you know this is really funny, and this kind of goes to the power of, of virtual. Um, about two, three years ago now, I created an infographic that was full. Um, you know, half of it was the things that successful people do, and the things that unsuccessful people do, and it just went crazy viral on every social, every social um, component out there. And so what we did is we actually created a report on it and it's called the Success Indicator Acceleration Report. And we've gotten such incredible reviews on that that I'll, you'll be the first to know, um, John, that I'm actually going to start a brand new product on it. But right now, the report is free for your viewers, and they can get it at inboxempire.com forward slash success indicator. And this, you know, this whole report and the infographic came came to me after you know working with... Years of you know, and studying really successful entrepreneurs. And one night I had dinner with Steve Wozniak, and who just the most gracious person in the world. And he talked about he was so grateful for being able to create like the best technology that we have in the world, right? I mean, Steve Wozniak was responsible for building the Mac, the iPad, the iPhone. And he told the whole story with him and Steve Jobs, and it was just an incredible, incredible night. And you know, it just came to me that you know successful people have a real sense of gratitude. You know, and that, you know, and so this whole infographic kind of evolved, and I added that right away because when I think about unsuccessful people, what do they have? They have a sense of entitlement. And it really, the acceleration report, the success indicator acceleration report, really goes into a lot of those stories about my meetings with people like Steve Wozniak, people like Richard Branson and Tony Robbins and Bill Bonner and just, you know, how successful entrepreneurs, they think differently. It's really, you know, it's easy to get through, but there's just nugget after nugget in there
0: no i'll look forward to it i just downloaded it and let, let me pull everything together Of what my key takeaways here are so i look at you know one of the things i love about having the opportunity to work with and interview successful entrepreneurs is, you know, the hard-learned lessons that they have and that they're sharing with us. And, you know, this is one where you definitely want to go back and get the transcript and go through it point by point because there's so many lessons. I have two pages of notes here. I mean, number one I'm going to go is direct response. Uh, Mary Ellen is a phenomenal uh, executor of direct response, and there's so much to be learned here. You know, I think you have to do two things well as an entrepreneur. You have to deliver a great client experience. We talked about that. The paper boy, paper girl, uh, Mary Ellen had. But, you know, we got to deliver a great experience. But once you've done that, then that's nailing it. You have to scale it up. And scaling that up is to be able to attract a steady stream of clients or customers to you. And the best way to do that is direct response. In today's technology, you can really leverage it. The lessons that she shared, the big five, you know, be guarding your time. You know, meetings, make sure that they're effective. Start and end the tools that she suggested. Got a minute. I, the most powerful word in marketing is no, <laughs> you know or next too sometimes, but no is really powerful. And I love systems. I am one of those guys that likes shiny items, but I have systems, I have teammates. To make sure that we're very systemic, and that's where you create tremendous yep. value, clarity of vision. Mary Allen, you know, thank you for sharing your insights. You are an inspiration, and uh, I really, you know, enjoy so much having the opportunity to work with you and making a difference to all our fellow entrepreneurs, uh, your clients, your future clients are counting on you. Go out and execute these. That's, make a difference. Yep.
1: Thank you so much, John. This
0: was great. Okay, well, all the best to success. And remember, everything's at AESNation.com. And share it with your fellow entrepreneurs so they can make a difference as well. All the best. Exceptional, remarkable breakthrough. AESNation.com.